0: So I just jumped out there and I did it. You know, I didn't have this detailed business plan and I just said, hey, I'm going to do it. I slapped up a website. I got 500 business cards printed. I had the most general, I won't even say niche because it wasn't a niche. I said, hey, I'm a coach for entrepreneurs because I've gone through all this stuff and I have a passion, love entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And I said, I want to help entrepreneurs.
1: This is Happen To Your Career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow.
2: I'm gonna be the operations coordinator for CASA, which is stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate.
1: This is Sarah. She has many passions and skills, which actually made it kind of difficult for her.
2: My whole career type story has been one of sort of bouncing around because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I could never figure it out.
1: Listen for Sarah's story later on in the episode to learn how she used Career Change Bootcamp to help her finally figure out what fits her.
2: I had the opportunity to really just kind of try to figure it out.
1: This is Scott Anthony Barlow and you are listening to Happen to Your Career, the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. We get to bring on experts like Karenina Jonagan, who helps high performers figure out what's stopping them and overcome that immediately. Or people that have pretty amazing stories like Cesar Ponce de Leon who has been on an interesting journey and discovered what he loves and comes from a background in marketing all the way to what he's doing now. And you can find all those plus more because these are all people just like you. They've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. Today, we get to talk to Mark Mawinney.
0: Just a little bit of background, I'm in Atlanta, Canada, which is a little more conservative part of the world. People here are used to being, okay, you're an insurance guy or a real estate woman or a lawyer, you know, those type professions. So they say, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a coach who coaches coaches. And they look at me like I have two heads, right? Like, what the heck is that? Or they're thinking coaching is something to do with athletics. And, oh, geez, what are you like heading to the NBA or something? So they don't really get it, although it's getting better in this part of the world. So I'm essentially a business coach and the people that I help are other coaches with their business. Anyone that comes to me that owns a bricks and mortar type business or something like that, I refer them off. I only work strictly with coaches.
1: As Mark and I have this conversation, you get to hear how to get into coaching in the first place. If that's something that you're interested in. Even if it's not something you're interested in, you want to understand how it works and how how that can happen and how coaching can benefit you on any side. And I'll tell you that back when I was in HR, uh, the bulk of what I did was coaching. And that's actually what got me into HR in the first place, was having a tiny bit of coaching experience and having that skill set that went along with it. So we get into all that, plenty more, plus the leapfrog theory. And how that can actually help you and how you can benefit from that. And the importance of linking coaching and business, because a lot of people don't really understand that capacity, especially if you ever want to make this a business of your own someday, or even if you have that interest in we also get deep into comparison bias. And that is, that's not something that is particularly helpful to you. So be careful who you compare yourself to. And we can talk about how to do that part differently because it happens. It happens to us as humans. And also, Mark and I talk about not limiting yourself to your local geographic area. So many people are very focused on, hey, I live in Vermilion, Ohio. And There's only so many companies in Vermilion, Ohio, but the reality is you don't have to be limited anymore, and you haven't for a number of years, by what's in your immediate area, and that is so cool. So tell you about that and a whole bunch more, especially if you're one of those people that might be interested in staying where where you're at, but still having a life and a career you love. All right. Mark has a pretty amazing story about how he got to where he is now.
0: It's funny because actually the coaching industry wasn't really a coaching industry way back. And updating myself, but I would have been in, in that age bracket in around the late 80s. So the coaching industry wasn't anything like it is now. But really, it happened by accident. I'm an accidental coach. But then on the other side of it, I was coaching for years, not realizing, which sounds kind of strange to say it. But to make a long story short, actually, I was in real estate for my whole adult life starting at 21 And I was 21 years old. I looked probably 15, 16 years old. I always joke that I look more like the paper boy than a real estate agent, you know, showing up at the doors. I looked young, you know, and I look a few less gray hairs than I have now probably. So I started in real estate and I spent a decade building up my real estate, you know, 10 years roughly where everything was going perfect every year my business was doubling and i was adding people to my team and just enough hard work and pretty soon i was a number one agent out of 300 and some agents in the city and things were going great and i picked the absolute worst time to expand my business which was 2009 anyone listening they know where the story's going you know with the real estate market globally around then and i grew to a couple of offices and 100 agents and employees and Everything's going great until it wasn't going great and everything collapsed. And that's in itself, we could probably do a whole series on that 100 episode type thing here to go over it. But
1: the 100 episode collapse, it's a new podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. By the end of it, I'll just be like, I don't know, drinking my face off or something, sitting in the dark room, you know, just totally depressed now. It was interesting. I can look back now and I realize that was actually a great thing that happened. Now, if we were doing this interview in August of 2009, I would have been thinking something a little different. But after the business closed, you know, I stumbled through the wilderness for a few years. Not literally, but not knowing what I was going to do. You know, so I kind of got back into real estate and I was going to be doing some flipping, and then that didn't work out. I went through another stumble there, and then by 2012, I said, you know what, I'm done with real estate. I'm not having fun. This isn't enjoyable. And I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And it was actually through the help of several coaches and mentors that got me back on track. And then I started saying, okay, what do I want to do for my next business? And that's how I got into coaching. And I started my coaching business, it was at the beginning of 2014. And it's funny, because it feels like it's a lot longer, because I've done so much with my podcast, Natural Born Coaches has 500 Ish episodes now, and just I've crammed a lot into three, four years basically. And that's how I got into coaching. But I'd actually been coaching for many years with my real estate team, just I didn't realize I was coaching at that time. But looking back, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of crossover with coaching there.
1: You know, short of the 100 episodes that are going to be produced later. That's a really compelling story. And I think there's a couple of things that I take away from that. One, it seems like so many of us that have made big changes have been born out of seemingly not good events, I suppose. Right. And I think that is, I don't know, it's hard to keep that in the moment. Like for me, one of those was when I got fired from my first professional job way back when. And then, like, screw this, I'm not doing work that I don't like anymore because it was terrible. But, you know, at the moment, same as if we were talking in 2009 when all that happened for you, it wouldn't have been very exciting at all.
0: It was a strange experience because I had 10 years of no stumbles whatsoever, you know, and I don't get me wrong. It was a lot of work. You know, yeah. I worked my butt off. It was a lot of hundred hour weeks. I was pretty much at a cell phone to my ear unless I was in the shower. And I'm sure I probably did some deals in the shower too, you know, <laughs> it was a lot of work, but there was no stumbles. So then you look at 2009 when that closure came, it was a messy Closure. I mean, there's never a totally clean business closure, really. There's always going to be issues. But I mean, my part of the world, it's a cat gets stuck in a tree. That's front page news. Like, there's not much going on here. And when that happens, suddenly public enemy number one. You know, front page of the newspaper. And you know, I could see it in a lot of other markets. It probably would have been on section C, page 25, if anything. You know, it's yeah, it's a real estate business. There's 100 agents and employees, but. In this case, it got a little bit overblown with a lot of stuff. And that's okay. I can take responsibility. And if the business hadn't closed, that wouldn't happen. So that's my fault. But I hit a point where I said, you know what? Enough's enough. Like I'm tired of getting kicked around here. And I learned actually more in that period of those couple years where I was going through that failure. And that struggle to find myself, I learned more in that time than I learned 10 years of the good years through there, which is so failure can be good at and actually take the lessons from it. And you can turn it into something positive as long as you don't wallow in self-pity and you know stay down. So I got back in the horse, took a little bit of time, and then I had enough of people kicking me around. Basically, I said, you know what? That's a very powerful motivator too, by the way, to prove the haters and the critics wrong.
1: So I'm super curious, since you've gone through that, how do you sort of engineer that? Because One thing that I heard you say, which I absolutely agree with, and there's a lot of evidence behind that fact, not opinion, is that you're going to experience some of the highest degrees of learning through some of those failures or in some cases, you know, high stakes type events or whatever you want to call that. Bad, conventionally, things that people would consider bad, right? Right. So looking at that now and having gone through that, have you encountered any ways that you can either engineer that or shorten the failure cycles or what's been your experience there?
0: Well, the way that I did it was I did something that Chin Ning Chu talked about in the book thick Face Black Heart. She wrote it back in the early 90s. Uh-huh. Not many people know about that book. It's kind of a cross between The Art of War and Think and Grow Rich. And very few people have read it. I read it a few times a year because I love it. It's probably my favorite book. But Ning Chu in that book talked about something that she called the leapfrog theory. And what it was, basically, she was originally from China. And then later in life, adult life, she was in, I believe it was Portland, Oregon. And she won a government position that a lot of people in that city wanted. And suddenly, they started trying to trip her up. And she couldn't do anything without people, a lot of rumors, a lot of lies being spread about her, just anything they could do. A lot of people were jealous of that. And she was getting very frustrated playing in that, I say small sandbox. I'm not saying Portland's a small place by any means, but she was still feeling very trapped. And what she decided to do was she said, I'm not going to play their game anymore. She said, I'm going to start writing books and speaking on teaching Western business people Asian principles, business practices. And she said, I'm going to become the expert on it. And she did it. You know, she wrote very popular books. She was a regular on Larry King. She was on all this media and stuff. And suddenly the people in Portland, Oregon couldn't touch her because she had leapfrogged them, you know, dealing with Larry King and all these big vehicles and stages. And that's essentially what I did with my haters and critics as well. I just didn't realize it at the time because I actually read the book after I engineered it <laughs> so I stumbled <laughs> over it by accident but what I'm doing in the coaching world is I said I'm not going to play in the small market of 100,000 people that operates very much like a small town of 5,000 I'm just not playing the petty little games you know and stuff and I'm going to work with people around the world I want to affect people around the world and it's not to knock real estate you know I had a lot of good years there but I can't impact the number of lives selling houses in a small Canadian province in a small city in a Canadian province Compared to coaching, I can touch a lot more lives and have a lot more fun and you know, make an impact, have more fun. It's no brainer. So I did that leapfrog theory where I just started dealing with people all around the world, people like you, take for example, popular show like this, rather than playing in that little sandbox. So anyone listening, go read and I'm not an affiliate by any means, but go <laughs> just a fan. Yeah. that's right. I'll get 10 cents for every book sale. But no, read Thick Face Blackheart because I wish I'd read that book in 2009. It probably would have shortened that whole process even more than it was. Instead of taking a few years to get back on my feet, it maybe it would have been a year. Who knows?
1: Face Blackheart. I didn't catch the author's name though. How did you spell that?
0: Unfortunately, she passed away, but her name was Chin Ning Chu, C-H-U.
1: Chin Ning Chu. Okay. You got her. Perfect. Appreciate that recommendation. I haven't read that one yet. Well. Let me shift gears on you then a little bit, now that I've got another awesome book to add to my list here. When you're thinking about this coaching business and coaching as a business, how did you get started first of all? Because you know we talked about that, you, you moved into this industry, you we talked about where you're at now, but how did you really get started? What did it take for you to get your first couple of clients? And how did that look for your journey?
0: My approach has always been very much ready, fire, aim, as opposed to ready, aim, fire. That's like the book podcast today, but that's actually an excellent book as well called Ready, Fire, Aim by Michael Masterson. But anyway, that's one you guys may want to check out as well. So I just jumped out there and I did it. You know, I didn't have this detailed business plan and I just said, hey, I'm going to do it. I slapped up a website. I got 500 business cards printed. I had the most general, I won't even say niche because it wasn't a niche. I said, hey, I'm a coach for entrepreneurs because I've gone through all this stuff and I have a passion, love entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And I said, I want to help entrepreneurs. So it wasn't terribly focused in there. And later months, I would narrow down from that. But when I got started, I just said, hey, I'm a coach for entrepreneurs, you know, and I want to help. And I didn't do formalized certifications and training and everything. I really got started just by doing it. You know, those initial clients getting started with one-on-one and then got busier and busier. And then eventually what had happened where it really took off is I had two of my clients who were coaches And when I compared those clients to the sessions that I had with clients that weren't coaches, night and day, I much preferred working with the coaches. They were more fun. I enjoyed helping them with their marketing and their programs and everything else. So it's not to knock Joe from Joe's plumbing. It's just I gelled a lot better with those coaches. And I said, I'm going to focus solely on that niche. And that's when I launched my podcast, Natural Born Coaches, and started to really focus in and hone in on that world. And that's where things really took off from there. So anyone listening who's a coach or who's thinking of becoming a coach, it's great. But you really nowadays, I find half a bit more of a target as opposed to saying, hey, I'm nothing against life coaches. You know, I think that their heart's in the right place and stuff, but it is easier if you can narrow it down somewhat. And that's when things took off for me.
1: So talk me through that then, because... I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think you save yourself so much pain if you can talk to a specific group of people versus a very, very general group of people. Yeah. But I mean, to your point, sometimes it's more important just to actually get started and go do the thing versus have the 42 page business plan that spent seven
0: It's obsolete
1: more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this is something that before we hit the record button, I told you that my hope was we could talk through what this actually looks like here's the first couple of steps to getting this thing up and started so that people can actually get going. So for those folks that are thinking of getting a coaching business started or have been trying and haven't had as much success as they would look like, let's talk about that and let's operate from that. What do they do?
0: Yeah. The first thing to get out of the way is if you're a perfectionist, don't be (laughs) beat it out of you. Stop doing that. Oh my God. If you're a perfectionist, you shouldn't be in business. I'm sorry it sounds harsh, but it's true because I've seen perfectionists that take six months to create a lead magnet, say for an email opt-in, when it should take a couple hours literally takes six months. So you'll drive yourself crazy. So if you're a perfectionist, don't be perfectionist. But the first step that I would take is don't put a lot of pressure on yourself thinking that, hey, whichever direction I pick to go into for coaching, I'm going to be doing this for the next 50 years. And you're tied to it and it's written in stone. you know. And then you put all this pressure on yourself and you don't know, can I make money in that niche? And is it too narrow? Is it too wide? And you really freak yourself out. A good way to get started, I would say, is look at different coaches that are out there, do some market research. Not six months worth or a year's worth of market research, but you know, go online and find some coaches doing some different things that resonate with you. Yeah, I really like what he's doing. I like what she's doing. That the Scott guys, you know, in that career world I love that happen to your career, you know, I'd be interested in looking in that. And then they start spying on Scott in a way. They sign up for your email list and any of the coaches that are interesting, sign up for their email list, see what they're talking about, see what they give out there for their free resource for their email and do some market research that way. And that's probably the first start. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. There's someone that I once knew and he was interested in helping men get through breakups. That was essentially his niche. And he was coming out of a breakup himself and he really thought he would enjoy that niche. And after doing it for a little while, he decided, you know what, this is kind of depressing. I don't want to work with heartbroken guys that looking for to get back on the horse. I want to do something different. Sometimes you don't know that you may think, hey, I want to be a cancer coach, for example, but then it's just too hard emotionally. And it's not working, but you'll never know it unless you try it. So get out there, just start doing some different things. Don't put pressure on yourself. And I think pretty soon, you're going to find out what you enjoy. And when you get out there and you get offering some sessions and stuff, you're gonna see who's attracted to you. So you may realize that, hey, 14 out of the 15 people were middle-aged women between the ages of 45 and 50 who, whatever, a couple other things there. So that's who really seems to be attracted to me. I should explore this a little bit more
1: absolutely love that. I've got 17 thoughts in my head, so I'm trying to decide which one to say first here, but <laughs> love it particularly because really, and to your point, and I mean, I think you've acted upon this as well. So you're proof positive. And my story is very, very similar too. It's Just start doing it versus, I don't know, all of the things that can get you held up necessarily. And when you start doing it, you will have observations, you will have patterns, you'll have learnings, you have feedback. Now created a feedback loop by actually going and doing the thing. So then you can observe, hey, I like this more than I like this. Okay, well, let's do more of this. And that's how
0: it realistically works.
1: This is why I wanted to have you on, Mark. Hmm. All our conversations have been very practical and useful.
0: Well, what you're supposed to say, Scott, is Mark, I want to thank you. I made seven figures in a month by hiring you. And (laughs) all my success is due to you, Mark. No, I'm just kidding. We're joking. I only
1: named two of my seven children. Yes.
0: (laughs) But it's funny because I get coaches reaching out to me and they, to paraphrase, ask, in 50 words or less, can you tell me what I have to do to make six figures this year as a coach? And they want it handed to them on a silver platter. You know, here you go. It's only 48 words. Here you go. Here's how you do it. There's no magic answer. So whenever I'm talking about coaches, I always say to somebody, so why do you have a coaching business? If I just met you, I didn't know you. You've been on my show, Scott, and we've talked a lot. But if I didn't know you, I'd say, so why do you have a coaching business? I don't say, why are you a coach? Because coaching and business are two words that go together. You're an entrepreneur when you're a coach. And unfortunately, too many coaches come from backgrounds that they didn't have to sell they didn't have to go out there and prospect. They didn't have to get people through the door. So they come from, say, an HR background or they were a teacher. And they're all great careers, don't get me wrong. They're passionate about helping people, but they never had to go out of their cave in the morning with a club and, you know, beat something over the head and drag it back to eat it. And that's essentially what business and I know it sounds crude, but in sales is, you know, you have to go out there and you have to kill in order to eat. And they get started, they get perhaps their certification, they get their website up and then all of a sudden, oh shoot, I don't have any clients. How do I get clients? So I always ask people, why do you have a coaching business? So I tie those two words together because if you're not willing to operate as an entrepreneur or as a salesperson, you're probably not going to make it.
1: So moral and lesson number one, get yourself a club.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And get a little leopard skin, like kind of like a Flintstones, you know, rope, whatever.
1: (laughs) Perfect. So here's kind of what I'm pulling out, like all joking aside, I think that's a big mindset change for people and how they're thinking about this. And I'm interested in what you find too, because you talk to these people all the time as well. But when I talk to people that are interested in being coaches, then we find a lot of people that are Not looking at it or not interested in it for the business purposes necessarily, except to the extent of what they see that it'll get them.
0: Yeah. Well, the way that they're looking at it getting started is they think, oh, I'll be coaching 80% of the time with exactly. clients. And then the other 20% of the time will be, you know, a little bit of marketing and tidying up paperwork, a little bit of spreadsheets, you know, for accounting. But most of my time is going to be spent coaching. And you know what it's like, Scott, the reality is it's flipped. You know, you're lucky if you're spending 20% coaching, maybe 10% or or less is coaching. And then the rest is going out to find those clients. And I think the problem is in today's landscape, you know, 2017, you go onto Facebook and you're hit with all these ads with people standing in front of rented mansions, Lamborghinis, yachts, (laughs) promising seven figures as a coach, if you buy my super secret system, and just implement my special funnel, and you won't even have to work, you know, you got to work five minutes a day on it or so. And then the rest of the time, you're sipping girly drinks on the beach, and they get in, they buy into that dream. And then all of a sudden, they get in and see that doesn't work. And then it's, ah, shoot, what do I do? And, you know, that's one thing I'll say, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. And especially in those first couple of years, I found that it took probably between year two and three of my coaching when it was really getting rolling. It took at least a year to figure out what the heck I was doing and be able to actually it took 11 months to be able to make enough to move from my sales job because it was a good sales job for a telecommunications company. I worked from a home office and it was super flexible, but it took close to a year before I could go into coaching full time where the numbers were there. And it's going to take that time. It's not, I talk to some coaches sometimes. They're like, oh man, I've been at this so long. It's not rolling what's going on. And I'll say, how long have you been doing it? They're like, oh my God, three months or six <laughs> months. You know, I can't believe it. And I'm like, man, you're just a babe in the woods, you know, a rookie at this stuff. It's going to take at least a couple of years to get your feet under you, but then you get rolling with it. So you got to be patient with the process as well.
1: I love that. Thank you for dropping that truth. And I've been taking sort of an informal poll for about four years now, just with people, how long it takes to really get to that kind of inflection point where it gets, I hate to use the word easier because really just your challenges change, but, but in some ways you gained enough momentum where it's not like you get to the point where you can support yourself in one way and even meet your expectations in another way for what you set out to do the business. And it seems like most people are between like that two and a half to three and a half year mark.
0: Yeah. That's what I've found as well. Yeah.
1: But that's an interesting thing in itself too, because I would say to your point, like, you know, you ask somebody like, oh, that's so long. How long has it been? Well, 45 days. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think most people are going into it, looking at it as long-term type of yeah. gig.
0: Yeah. Humans are impatient, right? And that's coming from me. I'm the most impatient man in the world. Probably I'm working on my patient's. But I think what's really difficult nowadays is that you log into Facebook or whichever social media platform you frequent, and you're seeing everybody putting out their... Let's quote by Steve Furtick when he talks about, don't compare behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. And that's what it's like. Everybody's putting their highlight reel out there. So they all wake up bright in a chipper at 5am. They run 10 miles, the scale a mountain in whatever city they're in. And then they're back to make love to their beautiful supermodel wife or their gorgeous husband all before 9 a.m. And then they're making five figures by supper every single day. And that's what you're seeing whenever you open up your computer. And that's where it gets difficult because you're not seeing all these struggles and you're seeing people that are BSing. And you're thinking, man, it's so easy for them. Why, I've been at this 45 days or 50 days. Why the heck am I not doing all that stuff before 9 a.m.? And it's just it's an illusion.
1: I find that depresses me. So I just don't, I don't,
0: even, I don't even
1: bother with it. I haven't for a couple of years now. Our business has grown enough to the point we're going to have to hire another social media person in order to, yeah, well, thank you. But I've basically been ignoring it because of that exact reason, because I don't have enough willpower to not ignore it if I'm exposing myself constantly to that. So yeah,
0: you got to be careful. I mean, with me, it's I have a gorgeous girlfriend, but it's 10 a.m. before we make love. So it's 9 a.m. is a little bit unrealistic. But
1: see, I knew there was a massive difference.
0: One a really cool quote I heard, I'm pretty sure it was James Wedmore, the YouTube guy. And I think that he said that you, basically he was saying, don't compare yourself with someone further down the path than you are. So if let's say you're a coach that's been in it two years. Don't look at someone like, we'll say James, for example, he's been in this game for probably 10 years in the online space with stupid stuff. Don't compare yourself to a James Wedmore if you've only been at it two years and they've been at it eight or 10 years. Don't compare yourself to anyone, but if you can't resist it and you have to compare yourself to someone, then compare yourself to whoever just took the coaching certification with you or they've been at two years as well. But I'm really careful with that because it is depressing if you compare yourself to people who are putting up these false images on facebook trying to make it look like life's perfect and there's no way that it is perfect for anybody but there's no way you can compete with that and that's just going to get you into a funk and then you're going to get thrown off your course so i'm all for social media i get a lot of my business from facebook and i love it but i'm also careful not to compare myself too much with other coaches there i think it's very dangerous if you get into that game
2: I just didn't really have a thing, you know, that I felt like I was really good at. I always called myself a dabbler.
1: Not only did Sarah struggle with the array of passions, but she also had some other setbacks. I
2: couldn't walk anymore and bedridden for at least a year, probably closer to two.
1: After she recovered physically, Sarah began searching for a job again and struggled quite a bit.
2: So I felt like I kept having all these false starts which made me feel like I wasn't really building much of a resume. I knew it was too vague, but it was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I just did never feel like I could reach higher because I didn't have the quote-unquote experience, you know, kind of a thing. And that's where I think this course really helped.
1: Now, Sarah's talking about Career Change Bootcamp, which helped her realize that setbacks could still be positioned to find the perfect job.
2: You don't necessarily have to have the same job description for 15 years to have it apply to a new position.
1: Sarah was finally able to figure out what fit.
2: I'm gonna be the operations coordinator for CASA, which is stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. And then hopefully in the next year or so, bump up to the operations manager.
1: Congratulations to Sarah on finding work that she loves. If you also wanna figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up and gives you purpose, well, you can find out how Career Change Bootcamp can help you step by step because, well, that's what we do. All you have to do is go to happengearcareer.com and click on career change bootcamp to apply for our next opening and next cohort. Or you can text my coach, that's M-Y coach to 44222 and we'll send you over an application and help you figure out if it's a great fit for you. Pause right now and go ahead and text my coach to 44222.
2: Being willing to be open to what is what is your inner self really truly saying to you. And not just what you hear everybody else saying it should be.
1: When you're getting started and you're actually going through the act of either finding clients, that's one of the questions that I get asked a lot. You know, where do you get clients? Like, do you just go down to Lowe's and purchase one? Or like, how does that thing actually work? How do you get clients? Or maybe somebody has they've gotten their first two clients that happen to be friends of friends or something, and now they have to actually go and find clients either outside of what they're thinking of as their friend circle, and that's where they get stuck. So how do you work with that situation? Or how do you think about that situation for somebody who's right there in that sector, that time segment? What should they do?
0: Well, I guess it really depends. First thing I would say when it comes to clients is you want to fish where the fish are. So if you're in a niche, or let's say that's not really on Facebook, maybe it's more a LinkedIn crowd or something like that. Don't spend all your time on Facebook. And don't spend it in groups of other coaches, let's say, for example, because they're not your fish. You've got to go where they're at. I'm not really big on, I dropped off, cut off a couple of social media networks in the last year or two that just, for me, weren't yielding results and they're more distraction. So Pinterest is one. I just don't get Pinterest. There was some really cool Star Wars cupcakes and stuff like that. I saw it pinned to walls. I like Star Wars, but it's not for me for business, just not my thing. Pinterest, Instagram, probably should do a little more with Instagram, but Google Plus, don't get me started there. I just didn't get what I needed from those. So I focus primarily on Facebook and then I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, but Facebook's really the big thing. But you got to find it where your people are at. And I'm a big fan of coaching with an online coaching business. So I'm not saying you can't make it if it's local, but there's a lot of people that are in small towns and they're becoming life coaches. And there's 2000 people there well, unless you're coaching everybody in town over the next 10 years, it's going to be tough to go. And I just say, why limit yourself to that small? There's that sandbox analogy again that we talked about with thick face black heart. I really say, look, well, you've got the internet and you've got access to 7 billion people on the planet that you can reach for no cost, essentially, just a couple of clicks on a keyboard. People back in the 60s, entrepreneurs in the 70s, 80s would have given their front teeth for something like this. So why would you limit yourself to your town or to your city? If possible, work with people all around the world. And that's how I do it. All my clients are from away. You know, I've got clients in Dubai. I have a few in the UK. Most of them are in the US. And I have a few Canadians, but they're not in my right in my city here. I've worked with one or two local clients that came to me more by accident. They heard the podcast and Even when I was working with them, we worked on Skype. I wasn't doing coffee shop meetings. I hate Starbucks coaching sessions there. And I said, let's do it by Skype where I can do it in my pajama pants and slippers if I want. You know, if we're getting hammered with 10 feet of snow here in the lovely north,
1: (laughs) I'm pretty much the same way. I've only had, I was thinking back, one local client. Mm. Otherwise, most of our clients are US based, but second most UK. China, Australia, we work with a lot of people in Australia, Yeah, all over the world. And same reason, why limit yourself? Especially depending on what, to your point, what niche you're in and what target market you're at.
0: Yeah. If you're charging the right amount for your coaching, as long as you're not charging peanuts, but if you're charging what you should be, you only need a handful of good clients to have a successful business. So at any time I'm working with a maximum five one-on-one clients, And then I'll have a group often running, you know, with a couple people up to five in a group. So I might have 10 clients tops that I'm working with directly. If I can't get 10 people out of 7 billion people on the planet, I'm in the wrong business. I should go do something else. And sounds harsh to say that, but if you're not able to get out there and sell yourself to a handful of people on the planet, then go do something else. You know, get a desk job, nine to five somewhere. Or if you really have to do coaching, become an inside coach. You know, say for a company that where you're working inside a corporation, they hand you the clients directly and then you get to work with it. But the majority of the coaches that are out there, you have to go out there and sell yourself. It's just the way it is. It's a business.
1: And for accuracy purposes, we want to keep this accurate. I think there's only about 5 billion people that are on the internet.
0: Oh, is there? Okay. Out of the 76 Well, that's right. Actually, so. not everybody in the planet's on the internet, but you could also snail mail them, you know, someone in Australia.
1: Exactly. Now you're thinking, but I think that's good perspective though. Truly hmm. in not the whole 5 billion, but if you can't get 10 people out of however many billion, then... I'm not sure that this is necessarily for you or this model is necessarily for you. And then that's where you look at other options. So here's a couple other quick sort of rapid fire things that I get asked all the time that I'd love to foot to you. And you mentioned price. Should I worry about price when I'm getting started, when I'm getting my first couple of clients? Like, should I be worried about whether I'm charging $4,000 or $7,000 for this transaction? Or how should I think about price? Because so many people are very, very worried about that. Yeah. Perfectionists, this means you. <laughs> so, how can, for perfectionists and non perfectionists alike, how can they think about?
0: Well, I don't know if there's a huge difference between say four and seven thousand. I mean three thousand dollar difference, but as long as you're charging enough, I hate to see coaches either working for free or charging peanuts. And there's a lot of them doing that. And in their mind, they make that logic, the reasoning that they have as well, I'm just getting started. This will give me experience. So I'll improve as a coach if I'm working with people for free. And then they'll give me awesome testimonials and they'll refer me to everyone they know. And then I can bump my prices up and I get what they're trying to say. But unfortunately, that usually doesn't work that way. Usually what happens when you get working for free for peanuts you're not doing great work because you're starving and you've got bill collectors calling while you're trying to do your coaching sessions. And then you get start to feel resentful towards those clients. Like, man, I'm putting in all this work and they're not paying me anything. You know, so it's not really a good way to do it. I would rather see the coach spend his or her time prospecting for people who will pay them what they're worth as opposed to spending that time sitting on the line with someone who's not paying or not paying much because they're not going to take it. They don't have any skin in the game. So they're not going to be great clients. They're not going to work at it. They have nothing invested. So it's a waste of everybody's time. Take the time instead to go find people who will pay you what you're worth. But be aggressive. You know, If you're out there charging, it's fine. Do you remember the movie, The Wedding Singer, Adam yes, Sandler? I do. Yeah, I love that movie. So do you remember he was giving piano lessons to the old woman and she was paying with meatballs? She got him to put his hand out and pay with meatballs. A lot of coaches are doing that. Now, I don't know if they're getting paid by meatballs, but they're getting paid the same way. You know, Peanuts are very little and you don't want to do that. Don't slap your hand out and just take a couple pennies. I've always used the, the thought that I'd rather have four shiny quarters and 100 dirty pennies. That's the old saying. I would rather work with fewer people who are paying me what I'm worth as opposed to more people that are paying me nothing.
1: Well, I think when you get started that way, you build from a different place too. And you start, I almost think about it as a, if you're going to improve from wherever you start from, then you can potentially start further ahead versus I do know a lot of people that have been successful by starting for free. However, my observation is that a lot of times those people take longer to be able to ratchet up their prices compared to somebody who started a worthwhile value exchange.
0: Yeah, the results aren't there and the quality of client too. I mean, don't get me wrong when I charged less. Yeah, they were nice people and stuff, but I had one client in particular. Again, I'll go to another movie. Do you remember What About Bob, Richard Dreyfus, and Bill Murray? It's
1: slowly coming back.
0: to me. <laughs> so- <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Bill Murray was really kind of crazy guy and and Richard Dreyfus was a psychiatrist and he got referred to him because Bill Murray drove another psychiatrist nuts. He retired and got out of it because that's how bad he was. So the psychiatrist calls Richard Dreyfus, I have a client referral for you and stuff. But as he calls him, he's packing up boxes on his desk and he's getting out of it. You know, that's how crazy Bill Murray drove him. Well, I guess Bob was his name in the movie. So Richard Dreyfus took his family on vacation to cottage country and his client, Bob, or his patient, follows him out there because he was calling him every five minutes. And if he didn't get a call back, he'd have panic attacks and stuff. And he ends up following him out there. Now, it's not a thriller or a horror movie. It's actually a comedy. So what about Bob? And that's what my client was like. I had a client who, if I didn't get back to him, I'd say within an hour, he would get really antsy and stuff like, and I'm thinking, man, you're not paying me much. I think he was paying me a couple hundred bucks a month for one-on-one. Like That was not good. And since I've my fees now are quite a bit higher, I'm at six thousand us for three months so i don't get those issues though and i don't have people cancel their appointments either so when i was lower pricing i had people canceling for stupid reasons and that very rarely happens now unless it's something major going on and i think that just illustrates that the more skin in the game people have they take it more seriously and it's just it's a better quality client and it's better results it's better for you and it's better for the client so the more you can charge i'm not saying you have to start at two thousand dollars a month You know, bare minimum, your new coach, I would start at least at a thousand a month, one-on-one. If you're doing, say, four weekly sessions, don't charge a couple hundred bucks a month.
1: Well, and we've experienced one of the observations that we've had too, as we have, and we've upped our prices quite a bit over the last few years, but the more that we up our price points, the exponentially better we've been able to make our service and therefore the results that our clients are getting. Exactly, And that is something that I didn't necessarily know five years ago. I kind of suspected, but didn't actually know if you would ask me at that point in time, but that's been a really interesting observation. So then it it gets that momentum rolling because that gives us a little bit more time, actually and says substantially more time. And then it allows us to work with fewer clients and get each of those clients significantly better results.
0: Yeah. I think your one-on-one time should be that sacred time that you work with. People who are working with you are are paying for it, you know, and they're paying you properly. And even in my business now, I make sure that a lot of the stuff I'm doing is I've got – this going to sound very old school, stone ages, but I've got a print newsletter, ink and paper newsletter for coaches – And there's reasons why I do it that way. That would be a whole other show. But it's called Seeker Coach Club. And I'm doing things like that. And I work with those handful of one-on-one clients. But the rest of the stuff are things that give me leverage and allow me to reach more people. So if you're going to charge small amounts, make sure it's a hands-off, kind of do it yourself. I charge $97 a month for that print newsletter. But it's the same amount of work as if I have one person in it or a million people in it. Well, sorry, it's not true. I, I have a few things in there that would be more. If I had a million people, I'd be hiring more people. But you know what I mean? It's not a huge difference with the more people you get in there. And so anyone that approaches me that just can't swing one-on-one and they can't do my group coaching, because my group coaching is a 2,000 for three months for my small groups. If they can't swing that, then I can say, hey, look, here's a way I can help. Here's my print newsletter. And here's the details. If Then they can get my help. I'm not just throwing them away and saying, bugger off. I'm actually helping them, but I'm not helping them directly with it. So that's a better way to do it. So here's one more question that I get
1: all the time is when people are getting started and when people are moving down this track, how do they decide, and I've got my own opinions on this, but super curious about yours because we've never had this conversation before. How do they decide how to piece together packages
0: yeah. Well, your package is going to evolve. A load, <laughs> That's a loaded question, by the way. Yeah. We're going to have to do like a whole series. We oh, should no. <laughs> co-host <a> podcast here. <laughs> yeah,
1: so we got to do the hundred days, I don't know, whatever end yeah. podcast. Then we got to do the, yeah. So we got a lot of podcasts to produce,
0: Mark. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it's just paying attention to what your marketplace is asking for. You know, I had Robert Corey from Australia. He was on my show and he has Feed a Starving Crowd is his book. You know, the great line by Gary Halbert, the copywriter, find out what your marketplace is hungry for and then feed it to them as long as you enjoy doing that. So take for my business where I'm helping coaches grow theirs I just have to look and say, what are the biggest stumbles and pitfalls where coaches are getting tripped up? And if I'm doing a three month coaching program, then I start to map it out. Okay. I got 12 weeks. How can I split that up? You know, and hopefully I've got roughly 12 points, which the way it works out. And then we cover one a week and, you know, we can go back and do some review on some other stuff. So I think a lot of it is just using those two things by the side of your head, you know, your ears and ask your marketplace. I mean, Ryan Levesque another guy. He has a great book. Ask, you know, is the ask method, just go out there and ask them what they need, what they need help with. And too few people do that. They try to say, no, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to try to fit the square into a circle hole. And that doesn't fit, right? That peg and it doesn't work. So find out what the marketplace is hungry for and then feed it to them.
1: Well, and to some degree, I mean, that's how these questions are coming about, because this is something that I've heard again and again from folks that are interested in getting started with their own coaching business or have just gotten started more recently And so that's how these questions get to you. But then I think the other thing that I'm taking from what you said there is if you go and do that and they're asking for something, you can start with whatever result you want to deliver and then work backwards from that in order to create your package. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from what you're saying, if I'm interpreting it correctly.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how much time you spend putting your package together, it's never going to follow that exact script. You've probably seen this too with yours, Scott, as you think, okay, here's what we're going to focus on. But then all of a sudden, it goes in a different direction because people are telling you, hey, look, I need help on this. And no, even when I do my group sessions, there's no two groups that are the same. You've got five different people I have in in my groups, and there's all sorts of different things popping up. So you don't have to have it all mapped out. I mean, it's good to have a rough guideline with, hey, this is what I the path I want to take them on, but you're never going to have a completely scripted regardless of how well, you know, your marketplace, you're going to get hit with some stuff from left field. So just don't overthink it. And there's that perfectionist thing we talk about again, don't be a perfectionist with it. Just get out there and do it. Your first, you're not going to be as good, you know, in the early stages, but you'll get better.
1: So what are the biggest questions that you get when people are starting
0: out? You've asked a lot of them. How do you get clients is a big one. You know, because how do your clients get asked often, do I have to be certified if I'm a coach? And that could there's another podcast for us. I know. You know?
1: Oh man, that might be a rant slash podcast slash
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't if I had a dollar every time I heard that question, I wouldn't be talking with you today. I'd be down on my private island, you know, with my jets and stuff, my private planes. So I get asked often if you have to be certified or should be certified. I get asked, oh God, what coaching niche should I do? You know, is this a right niche or niche? I guess my American friends you guys call it niche. Things like that, that they get asked. And I think a lot of people are just, uh, they get themselves so worked up, they haven't even gotten out there or very little. And all of a sudden, they're wanting to switch everything around and they're all paranoid about things and working themselves into a tizzy And it's kind of like riding a bike, you know, you can read every book out there on how to ride a bike before you actually get on a bike. And you could think, okay, I I know how to do it. But you're going to fall and you're going to bang your knees up and get cut and bruised and scraped. And I think there's too few coaches out there that are willing to just take off the training wheels and jump on that bike and get beat up. They want to have everything perfect before they get out there. And that's just not the way that you learn.
1: Totally agreed. So what is your answer? And then I'll throw in my opinion on the coaching certification piece.
0: You watch your shows actually sponsored by one of these certifications. So if you, you lose <laughs> now your sponsor, our sponsor. <laughs> and then suddenly I talked about my haters in 2009, I guess. <laughs> it's an interesting question because it's hard to answer in a soundbite. I'm not certified. So that would tell you right there that I may have a bit of a bias. But I think that there are good coaches who are certified. But then I think there's lousy coaches that are certified as well, and then vice versa. So when I say that I'm not certified, I spend a lot of money, thousands of dollars every year between workshops and between programs and things to grow, you know, and to improve, because I think that that's important. I prefer to choose where I invest that money as opposed to saying, okay, I need that piece of paper on the wall for that certification. So here's 10K, you know, give me that piece of paper because I need that. And I don't mean to insult anyone going through certifications because there's some awesome certifications out there. And I've had a lot of those people on my podcast. So I think they're great. I think what's happened though lately is there's a lot of really not good certification programs popping up because they see coaches as an easy target. And hey, pay me 5k. And then all of a sudden, you get done. And then oh, well, you got to get to the next level, you got to pay me an extra 510k. And then the other problem that it has is the coaches going through it are doing these practice coaching sessions with their buddies from the certification. And they get so frustrated after a year of doing these because they're not doing real coaching sessions like paid with paid clients. They're actually just coaching with the other coaches in the certification. And it doesn't feel real and they get frustrated. And then the worst thing is I've had people go through certifications and then they start working with me and then they don't have money to pay for 20 bucks a month for a Weber for an email list or they don't have 100 bucks a month to pay for their go to webinar or whichever webinar platform they're going with because they just shelled out five or 10K on certifications. And they've got diploma the certification, the paperwork, but they don't have any clients and they have no clue how to get the clients. So I think a lot of the certifications need to focus more on how do you get clients as well, as opposed to just the craft of coaching. And yeah, there's my two cents. Send the hate mail to mark at naturalborncoaches.com. Go
1: ahead and make that out. Actually, you can double copy it because that's actually very, very similar to my feelings on it. And and I think the only thing that I would add to that is question why you want a certification. What purpose do you want that to serve in the first place? Because if you're looking at it for credibility, because I get a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I just don't know if I have the credibility. But if after I get the certification, I'll have all the... that doesn't make or break whether
0: clients are coming to your door. Well, here's all, Scott, because I just got a new printer. So if anyone wants my certification... They can send $5,000. I'll give you the address and I'll ship a first class (laughs) mail. There's your certification that you've got her. It'll show (laughs) up
1: to the same door as the hate mail.
0: (laughs) It's a natural coach's official certification and you're the most qualified coach on the planet.
1: Exactly. Exactly. If that is the sole purpose, then it's probably not a good idea. Uh, (laughs) If you're looking for on the flip side, like you mentioned, people that are learning how to coach. There are some programs that really are much more about the piece of paper. And I'm going to call it testing for comprehension, that you know some Hmm. of the points, but really aren't about teaching you how to actually do that. Hmm. And then there's still others that don't necessarily use effective methodologies. But all that said, there are a few really good programs that I've seen out there as well. So not to squash the few good ones that are out and about.
0: Yes. And I probably shot myself in the foot with some potential sponsors, but I will say there are good ones out there and and they're worth every penny. It's just deciphering which ones are they. And when someone approached me with one I've never heard of uh, from someone that I've never heard of that's offering it, then I'm thinking like, man, you know, this probably isn't worth 5K or 10K, but there you have it. There's my two cents. My rant's over.
1: <laughs> I sure appreciate you taking the time and coming over here and spending it with us and helping people understand how to think about this differently and how to get started mm. and get up and running. This has been awesome. Where can people find out? First of all, we already told you where you can send the $5,000 check for, for your my certification, certification. But where can people find out more about you?
0: Yeah, the best spot would be naturalborncoaches.com, not naturalbornkillers.com. You won't get us, but naturalborncoaches.com. The other place I'm spending a lot of my time, I've got a Facebook group that right now we've got about 5,000 coaches in there. It's awesome, sharing a lot of value and it's free. It's That Coaching Jungle. So if you go to thatcoachingjungle.com, you'll connect in the group there. We'd love to have you. And finally, secretcoachclub.com is the ink and paper prehistoric newsletter that I snail mail. Well, not even snail mail we do it by priority mail but we send directly to people's to coaches homes right to their door once a month so that's secretcoachclub.com
1: very cool go over check it out i'm a member of that facebook group as well i don't spend a ton of time on facebook but when i have i've seen good things coming out of that group and certainly been on the podcast listen to the podcast go over and check that out too good stuff hey really appreciate it thanks again for taking the time and making the time appreciate it mark
0: yeah well thanks for
1: having me scott Do you enjoy helping other people or maybe people keep coming to you for advice or do you find yourself ending up in conversations about people's career over and over again? If you just find that you can't stop helping other people in these areas that you're enjoying and want to do more of it, plus maybe you want to add in more freedom or flexibility or travel or other ways to help others and you really want to take control of your own life and help other people do work that they love doing by making a huge impact. Well, then guess what? If even just one of these is true, it's probably a safe bet that you would enjoy coaching full-time tremendously to receive more in-depth help and get our 14-day series on how to become a career coach and learn whether or not career coaching is viable for you and the right thing for you and learn from other career coaches that have built businesses full-time, part-time as a side business and everything in between. Then you head on over to how to be a and sign up for that series. Take a listen to what we've got in store for you next week on the happen your career podcast.
2: They really didn't have a lot of you know, processes in place. And it was very, you know, just kind of shoot from the hip. I mean, things were continuing. They didn't have anything really defined. It was very difficult to do business. I didn't even have basic resources that I needed to do my job. Um, We were constantly, you know, having management changes and people were constantly leaving a lot of turnover and that's completely normal for organization.
1: That's right. All that and plenty more next week. It's here on Happen to Your Career. I will see you next week when the episode releases on Monday. All right. I am out.
0: Adios.